May I invite you now to grab a Bible and find the book of Jonah. It's uh, tucked in the back of the New Testament. Um, but uh, as you find that, let me mention two quick things. Uh, first of all, those of you who are uh, signed up to go to Israel next year, um, I know that it uh, seems that we've gone dark on you. That is not the case. We are waiting for the airlines to give us a schedule. They have said it would be available to us on the 29th of this month. They told us it marked uh, April 1st, but now it's the 29th. So as soon as we get a schedule, then the ball will really begin to roll and things will get real serious. So, but uh, that's what we're waiting on. We're waiting for the airlines to give us schedules. The other thing has to do with uh, this systematics class that I teach uh, twice a year. This year it'll be in June, uh, the 16th and the 23rd. We try to keep the class small so there can be a lot of dialogue that goes on. So there's 15 spots and 10 of those are already taken. So if you are interested in being in that, it doesn't cost you any uh, money, but it does cost you eight hours, four hours, and you've got to commit to come to all eight hours, four on one Saturday, four on the next. So if you can do that and are interested in wading around in some deep theological waters, come, be a part. I think you'll find it very stimulating. Whether you, whether you agree with it or not, I think you'll find it quite stimulating. Now, you follow, um, as I read, from a book that we consider to be the very mind of God as black words on a white page. It's inerrant, infallible, inspired. It is um, God's word. And it reads like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil. Their evil has come, upon, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. <clears throat> For those of you who might be interested in things like this, um, the, the, modern, the ancient city of Nineveh is considered by just about everybody to be the modern city of Mosul, Iraq, uh, which has been much in the news because of ISIS and uh, the retaking of Mosul, et cetera, et cetera. But those are, uh, those are the same city, uh, most would say. Um, it was a city that was founded by a man by the name of Nimrod, who is mentioned in Genesis 10. Uh, Nimrod was quite a pain in Israel's side for this reason. Nimrod not only founded uh, Nineveh, he also founded a city by the name of Babel or Babylon. Uh, both cities were capitals of nations that were enemies of Israel. It was Assyria that, of course, um, defeated the northern kingdom and it was then Babylon that invaded and destroyed Jerusalem about 150 years later. So those two cities, founded by the same man, uh, are two cities that uh, rank very high on the uh, hate list of, of Israel. Nineveh, of course, is the capital of Assyria. It is the most renowned city of paganism on the face of the earth at that time. There is one whole book of the Bible that is dedicated to the denouncing 
of the city of Nineveh. It's the minor prophet Nahum, the whole book. The whole book is about denouncing Nineveh, the city to which Jonah had been sent. Now, into um, that place, the most renowned city of paganism in all the earth, God sends a Jew, a prophet, a Jewish prophet, without warning, without preface, without explanation, and by his so doing, that is, sending one of his spokesmen into this pagan capital, by his so doing, God is staking claim all over again to his sovereign rights over all the earth. Um, And then so that everybody would listen up, so that everybody would remember this story, he adorns the story with an incident involving a big fish. And everybody focuses on the fish when it's just a bauble to remind you of his claim that he has sovereign rights not just over Israel. Yahweh is no regional deity confined to Judaism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's good news for people like us who are um, Gentiles. That God is not confined to Israel. He is a, a God who stakes claim to being sovereign over all the earth. Now, that is one clear message of the book of Jonah. That being, Yahweh is the God of all the earth. Um, Now, from that sovereign God over all the earth, a command is issued. It uh, it lacks no clarity. It's rather simple. Um, It is not ambiguous, obscure in any way. It is sudden. It is abrupt. And while all the other prophets that serve this Yahweh are are asked to do a similar thing in that they denounce pagan nations, none of those prophets have ever been asked to put in a personal appearance except Jonah. They all spoke to those nations, but only Jonah is asked to pay them a visit. And to that abrupt, specialized command, Jonah responds. He arises all right, but he arises in open, hostile, disobedient defiance before God. He seeks and puts a plan together to flee, not just from this God, from this God and his command. Jonah runs. God's demand on him is just, in his mind, way too much. And I want you to notice in the text that the the city of Tarshish, by the way, um, there's really no clear evidence as to where Tarshish was located. The best guess is that it was somewhere on the coast of Spain. But you'll notice that in the text, Tarshish is mentioned three times. 
Folks, when the Bible mentions something in this confined space of three verses three times, you, you, you know it's there for, for the purpose of emphasis. And the emphasis is in essence this. Jonah says, I'm not going. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to Tarshish. 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 Do you get it? I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. And so, Jonah openly defies the very clear and precise and simple, at least to understand, the simple command. It's very 21st century-like, isn't it? Defiance. We see that guy, oh gosh, we see that guy a lot outside and inside the church who knows what the commands are or a command is. It's pretty simple. I understand it. It's not a question of intellectual grasping. I know what he commanded. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Jonah arises all right. But he heads in the wrong direction. Uh, He heads in a direction that he chooses for himself. Because I want you to know I'm in charge here, says Jonah. Does, Does he really believe that he can go somewhere where God isn't? Does he really believe that he can get away with this? Apparently he does. And so do we. He should have known better. And so should we. But that doesn't stop him from his open defiance. The issue very clearly, ladies and gentlemen, at least in these opening three verses, the issue very clearly in in that little paragraph is, I will not obey you. I know what you said. I get it. I heard it. I understand it. But I won't do it. Bullheaded defiance. So ugly. And, And you will also, I hope, notice in the text that it says twice that he goes down. He goes down. Because, ladies and gentlemen, every step that you take away from this God is a step down. You and I trifle with with known duties, clear commands. Um, What is it? What is it that that you want, that you have to go beyond the commands of God to have? What is it that you must have for you ever to be happy, but to get there, I'm going to have to transgress known boundaries 
I'm going to have to go beyond. I am going to have to look at the clear commands that I know exist, and I'm going to have to say to those commands and to the God who issued them, no! No, I'm not going to do it. Do you understand? I'm going to chart my course, and I'm going to be in charge because I'm the captain of this soul. The story, the text says that he goes down to Joppa, which is a little suburb just south of Tel Aviv, and we're told that he pays the fare. (laughs) Um, That, ladies and gentlemen, is a principle that is woven into the warp and the woof of the universe. Everything has a fare. No one runs from God without paying the fare. It costs, ladies and gentlemen, and it costs to rebel against this God. And some of us have learned that the hard way, haven't we? Um, and yet, I guess we haven't learned it very well. We try to teach our kids that principle. And yet mommy and daddy still um, still haven't fully learned the principle. And here it is again. Everything has a fair. No one runs away from God without paying the fair. You know, gang, there is a, um, there's an interesting statement. It's not really a statement. It's a question in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27. And, and the question that is put is this, can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? You, you see, the answer is very clearly suggested in the question. Uh, can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Well, the answer is, of course not, he can. If he takes fire to his bosom, he'd be burned. Can a man defy this God and not be burned? Can a man defy this God and, and get away with it? Guys, going to Tarshish, when I'm supposed to go to Nineveh, can be very costly. Defiance always has a price. And usually that price is pretty steep. You know that, don't you? Some of us have had to pay the price of our defiance. There's something in these three verses that I thought was so um, so intriguing. Coincidentally, there just happens to be a ship right there in the harbor waiting for him. And it has, a, it has an open spot. What do you know? And it's going to Tarshish. 
What a marvelous coincidence. You know, my buddy Steve Brown used to say, um, I guess he still does. He, he hasn't gone to glory yet, but Steve um, used to say this. If you want to sin, God will grease the skids. Maybe Jonah said to himself when he arrived at Joppa, he, he could have said something like this. Well, <laughs> well, what do you know? You know, God may just be in this. I mean, because look at there. Providence has smiled on me. There's a boat, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an opening for me, and it's going, <laughs> it's going to just where I want to go. You know, God must be leading me. This has been kind of easy, running from God. Guys, do you remember the story um, about Joseph? He's another name that's familiar to you. I think Joseph is the guy whose brothers sold him into to that caravan that was going to Egypt. And then when they got to Egypt, they sold him as a slave. And he was bought by Potiphar, who was a captain in the Egyptian army. And Potiphar had a wife. And so Joseph is uh, head of uh, the whole, of all everything that's going on in the house. And, and, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Remember that? It's in G- Genesis 39. Well, I mean, he could have said something like this. He could have said, well, you know, it is God that brought me here. I'm here because God put me here. And and I'm just trying to fit in. I mean, um, you know, when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to sin, you can always find some justification for it. If you want to sin, there's always going to be a boat in the harbor waiting for you. You want sin, says God. Here, have a gutful. I'll make it easy on you. I'll make sure there's a boat in the harbor for you. If that's what you want. As you know, um, interestingly, Jonah had to go to Nineveh after all. And so will you. My rebellion, my defiance will not thwart the purposes of God. The, um, the real question, or I guess the only question is, is how much pain is going to be involved in the, in the learning process? How many defiances will there be before I obey? That's your call. How many times will I defy him before I learn that there is a fare to be paid with every defiance? Now, the one thing that I think makes this book so intriguing 
is, is, is this. That why, does, why is Jonah so determined not to go to Nineveh? Why, do, why does he refuse so emphatically? It's not like he's looking for a, a paid vacation to, uh, to Tarshish. He, he's already had to pay that fare to get there. Um, it's just that going to Nineveh, in his mind, is unthinkable. Why is that? We're not told in the text, and um, I'm sure there are lots of reasons, but I just want to suggest three possibilities to you. Why it's so unthinkable in, in Jonah's mind for him to, um, to go to Nineveh? A couple of three reasons. First of all, if God is going to be merciful to a repenting Nineveh, and I just know he's going to do that, which is the very thing I hate, says Jonah. If God is going to be merciful to a repenting Nineveh, then, then what that means is, is that God's compassion is boundless. And it's not limited just to us. But it's available even for them. Oh. Very clearly, Jonah does not want to see those people get saved. And, I mean, you know, when I get home and I, I tell all my countrymen the great news about Nineveh repenting, my prophetic career is over. I, I, I may just get stoned. Or even worse. I may have to call one of them my brother or my sister. See, ladies and gentlemen, when you're, when you're guilty of spiritual racism, or any racism for that matter, it kind of messes with the way that you think. It, it, it might even lead you to have certain disdain for them. Because as you know, we're better than them. And I don't want them. In my midst. So I'm not going. The idea is unthinkable. See, if, um, if racism in, in any of its ugly versions gets a hold of you, it messes with your mind. Here's a second possibility. Jonah, which is hard to believe, but Jonah just may be confused about God's forgiveness granted to the guilty. By that I mean this. You see, in, in Jonah's mind, God is simply not treating people according to what they deserve. You see, God is 
much too free with his mercy to suit Jonah. For Jonah, if, if, if God is to be God, he must conform to certain rules of righteousness that are thought, thought to be humanly consistent, if not predictable. To wit, good people get rewarded and bad people get smushed. That's only fair. I mean, that's, that's the way things work. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, 98% of the people on this planet think just like that. Good people get rewarded, bad people get smushed. Um, that makes good sense. I mean, uh, just that's how we operate. And um, if that's the way I operate, then God ought to operate like that too. You see, Jonah had forgotten that, that every blessing, every kindness, every piece of gifting that Israel had had come to them, not because Israel was virtuous. Israel didn't become God's chosen people because God measured Israel against all those other nations and found, well, that's the cutest and that's the prettiest and that's the smartest and that's the strongest. And so I think I'll love them because they're so attractive. No, ladies and gentlemen, Israel was just as wicked as Nineveh. But the things that they had from Yahweh, they got by way of gift. You see, grace doesn't recognize virtue and then reward it. Grace saves and then it produces a virtue in response to the kindnesses of God. But Jonah has gotten that all confused. Those people don't deserve to have God be kind to them. He had forgotten that neither did Israel. Those people don't deserve it, neither do I. And, and Jonah is confused about God, God's way of granting forgiveness to guilty people. Guys, um, God's grace doesn't recognize virtue in any of us. There's none there. His grace produces virtue once the heart has been overtaken by it. Here's a third possibility. As we would all agree that Jonah has no right to pass judgment on these, these other people. But Jonah is thinking, well, okay, if God's going to do this, well, what's that going to mean to Israel? I mean, um, just last week I was speaking to a group there in Jerusalem, and I was calling people in Jerusalem away from their idolatry. In fact... 
I'm living in a nation that is completely idolatrous. The whole nation of Israel is in defiant disobedience. And I'm just one of them. Is God going to reject Israel and replace her with Assyria? You know those, uh, those Gentiles? Guys, here's the good news. God is willing to be reconciled to guilty people. Not based on a righteousness that we produce, but based on a righteousness that he provides. Do you, do you get that? You've got to get that. God is willing to be reconciled to folks like us not based on a righteousness that we produce, but based on a righteousness that he provided. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, we're all Jonah. You know, as an aside, even, I mean, if I, if I had been in charge, I would have told that Jonah fella a thing or two, you little pipsqueak. You, you, you defy me, and I'm done with you. But, but that's not how the story unfolds, as you know. That's not what God did to Jonah. And that's not what he does to us. And that ought to be good news to a people like us. Because have you ever defied God? So my brother and sister, we better all soak up this book. Because the way that God deals with defiant people is by way of a gift not by way of their merit. Because defiant people don't have any merit. Guys, there was only one who never defied God, and his name was Jesus. In fact, on one occasion he said that my meat and my drink is to do the will of my Father. Defy him? Of course not. My very, my very goal is to obey him in every jot and every tittle. So you see, Jesus Christ came because my sin created a fair. And that fair had to be paid. But the glorious message of the gospel is that that fare was not paid by me. In fact, that fare was paid for me. You know, we used to think that our self-righteousness would pay the fare, but nothing could be further from the truth. Because as the scriptures say, there's none righteous. Not a one. Not a one of us. Not a one of us can pay the 
the fear that we created as a result of our own defiance. But the fear was paid for us. My friend, if you uh, insist on going to Tarshish and you die there in your defiance, you will have to pay the fare. And you will do it for an eternity. Or you can come to Christ who paid the fare for you all that you owe for a lifetime of defiance. All that you owe has been paid. And then he turns and offers you a gift. The gift of eternal life. Have you received Our Father, we are indeed a defiant people. And uh, when we see um, ourselves in this open, hostile rebellion of Jonah, it's not pretty. And yet, it is the gospel being that is on display. A gospel that tells men that you are willing to be reconciled to a defiant people based on a righteousness that you provide for those defiant people. So as one in this room, O God, who knows of his own defiance, we come to you and eagerly lay hold of that which you provide in Christ. It is our joy to do so, knowing that there is a fair that we created and to be told that the fair has been paid for by Christ oh what a glorious piece of good news it is so thank you and now we want to live the rest of our lives saying thank you for all that you provided for us in Christ We're all yours, O God. We bring nothing with us except our sin. And we walk away with the gift of eternal life. We glory in that message, Father. Might it it become more and more beautiful at the base of our souls. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.